You are listening to the Ibn Abi Umar podcast. This is your host, Umar Osman. Welcome back to the podcast. I know it's been a while since we updated. I was out because of the holidays and the kids being out of school, but inshallah, now I'll be back on track and posting regularly. I've got a great episode lined up today. I'm talking to my friend Imam Arij Anwar from the Toronto area, and he's going to be talking about his personal journey, becoming an imam, what that career is like, the challenges that he's faced, uh, different projects that he's worked on. It's a really interesting interview. Uh, and it's a good inside look at both how masjids operate and then also things from an imam's perspective as someone who's trying to work for the community full time. Uh, before jumping into the episode, a couple of quick announcements. First, the Baraka Academy book club that I'm doing through ProductiveMuslim.com. I've got a link in the show notes for how you can join that book club, but we just started our second quarter, so uh, the last quarter of 2019. We covered leadership, so we went through three books on leadership, two secular ones from different perspectives, and then a faith-based leadership book. This quarter, Q1 of 2020, we're going through decision-making. So we're going through a couple of books on the decision-making process and then also a book on Shura. So the way, this, the way this book club works is trying to take these personal development topics but give it, but go through it in a comprehensive way that is meant to increase someone's critical thinking and their approach to these topics. So inshallah, you'll check it out. Second thing is I launched, uh, relaunched the 30-day kick your phone habit course on my website at ibnabumer.com. We did this last Ramadan, had quite a few people go through it and got really good reviews. So if you want to go through that, I've got the link to sign up in that uh, in the show notes as well. And with that, let's jump into the episode. All right. Assalamu alaikum, everybody. I'm joined with Imam Arj Anwar from Mississauga, or are you somewhere else near Mississauga? Uh, so... Currently in Brampton. Okay. Uh, Brampton is very close to Mississauga. You're right. Uh, and for those for those not familiar, this is uh, Toronto area. Toronto area, yes. Uh, for maybe some of people who are listening, you might know Russell Peters, unfortunately, and he is the one who he's dropped off. Brampton. He's dropped off a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's made <laughs> Brampton famous. Uh, if you watch basketball, Tristan Thompson from the okay. Cavs, actually from Brampton. <laughs> Tristan Thompson's contract is from Brampton. <laughs> I don't know if he's a whole player, but Tristan Thompson's contract, contract is from there. Is, the, the contract definitely is from Brampton. <laughs> yeah. But but for tell us a little bit about what what you do. I uh, for background, I met Imam Arij in two thousand eight. Was it? That's right. Yep. I think it was two thousand eight uh, at Al Maghrib. Uh, Ilm Summit program. Yeah. That was the first time they did it. So we met there, alhamdulillah, and been in touch since then. Um, seen, seen you come through Dallas a few times as well for various projects. But uh, for those who don't know you, let us know a little bit about yourself, where you're at, what you're doing, uh, and a little bit about your background as well. Sure. Uh, so I, um, I work in a city that's about two hours from, two hours west of Toronto. It's called London. It's not the actual London. It's a yeah. copy of London. <laughs> so we, we got a Palestine, Texas, and a Paris, Texas here too. Oh, yeah. Nice. Uh, London, in Ontario is such a copy of London that they have the Tim's River. Like the, everything is the town name and after the actual London. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's quite interesting. Uh, uh, but I, I, uh, I moved there about a couple of years ago. Uh, I started um, working at a, at a mosque there. The main mosque there is called the London Muslim Mosque. It's one of the few institutions in the city. There's only four or five mosques. And uh, the um, that mosque itself is actually the oldest in the province. It was made in 1964 or established in 1964. And, um, you know, it's been there since that time, right? So it's a quite a, you know, it's a historic place in many ways. Um, I moved there. Um, before that, I was here in Toronto. I, I didn't... Like I, I was just here locally in the suburbs of the uh, different parts of Toronto, uh, working either as a part-time imam or working as an instructor or a teacher in a Islamic school. I, I actually started off, um, you know, like most immigrant kids in computer science. 
<laughs> and I, I'm a computer science guy. It's okay. I know you are. <laughs> <laughs> I started off in computer science. I did my degree from Waterloo, uh, after which I came to Elm Summit. That's where we met the first time. Uh, and then um, I decided to. Well, I always I tried to learn Arabic and Quran uh, while I was, you know, studying. Uh, I always, you know, went through the whole Al-Maghrib courses uh, throughout university, right? It was, a, it was a big thing back then. Still big now, alhamdulillah, but back then it was huge. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm talking 2005, 6, 7, right? Yeah, it was kind of the peak, yeah. That was the peak. I, I remember I actually came to Toronto. My, my in-laws are from Toronto, and I remember we went there. Yeah. Uh, one summer and there was a class and there was like 700 people there like it was yeah. complete pandemonium yeah yeah there have been classes that I think I think the largest class was by Sheikh Walid that was okay. I think close to 900 people it was quite mashallah it was quite something uh, but after doing that I, I wanted to study uh, Arabic and Quran more I didn't really know what I was going to do with it I ended up going to Egypt with uh, with the Imam Wissam Sharif. You might know Imam Wissam Sharif from... I know Wissam really well, of course. He's my Wissam. neighbor, actually. Is he? Okay. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, so I did we Hajj asking... with him, too. Huh? <laughs> I did, did Hajj, Hajj with him, too. Yeah. Oh, nice. So we were together in Arabic class there. Uh, and uh, I I think I kind of lost touch with him afterwards. Uh, you know, we just... You know, it was difficult to keep touch with him after uh, we came back from Egypt. I continued studying with my teachers from Egypt continue to uh, I took some time off from work to full-time go into memorization of Quran alhamdulillah I finished that uh, got married um, and then basically started uh, to study full-time in a university in Malaysia uh, it's called Al-Madina International University uh, while also working full-time here in uh, in uh, the GTA area I started working at an Islamic school uh, and um, those two things were it was a very intense thing because uh, that was all I was doing. It was either at work or then I came back. I'd come back from work and uh, just study and review. Uh, so you, so you actually did what a lot of people uh, I know wanted to do, and I myself wanted to do and couldn't figure out how. Which was after going to college, yeah. and then kind of a little bit, quote unquote, later in life, right when you're most people are entering the workforce and, like you said, getting married and all of that. How did you manage to support yourself during that time while maintaining full-time studies? So, uh, alhamdulillah, I was very uh, fortunate that my parents, you know, were fairly well off. And, you know, they essentially had bought a house for me and my wife and that said, you can live here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, the family support is essential. Yeah. Without it, it's not possible. Right. Without it, I would have to, you know, uh, like working in tech, as you know, it's, it's a very, it's, it's a, the hours might be a little bit more than say like a uh, other jobs, but it's really like it consumes your, your, your brain power. Like when you're done, yeah. right. you you don't have any energy, mental capacity of, of doing anything like any academic thing. Yeah. Uh, and I remember that like, cause that I used describes to my life perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember when I was doing, actually I was working as a software engineer uh, right after graduation before I went to Egypt and I just couldn't, like find the time or the energy to, to, to study. Right. And I was single at that time. And I had very, like I completely removed like everything that from my life, like I wasn't even watching basketball. I was no distractions. I was like, I'm going to focus on this, but just still mentally exhausting, mentally just tired. Right. And you know, uh, coding takes a toll, right. It's not, it's not easy work. Uh, so, you know, my great fortune was that, alhamdulillah, my parents uh, allowed me to uh, not require having like a full, uh, like a, a job that, you know, pays a full salary, for example. Unfortunately, Islamic school jobs don't pay a full salary, yeah. uh, here especially. So I was there uh, and studying uh, full time. It was pretty intense because like I would wake up every morning, uh, I, I would have classes from before Fajr, basically. And then I would take classes with my teacher in Egypt who would tutor me in the curriculum of the university, right? Because the curriculum of the university was pretty intense. I couldn't read those books and understand what was going on. Mm-hmm. So he would tutor me. Uh, then I would go to, to the school to teach <clears> there, <throat> come back and then review and prepare for tests and write assignments and all that stuff. 
sometimes uh, you would have classes at Malaysian time. So it would be at 4 a.m. You wake up and like, you know, you're taking class. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was, it was a lot, alhamdulillah. But, you know, I was like, when you're young, I guess you can do it, right? Like you're, uh, at that point, you could survive on less sleep. And I didn't have any kids. So that actually. Right. Really, yeah. That, that's kind of the secret. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Without, with, with the kids, it was just not possible. So once after you finish studying. Yeah. So there was a masjid here, a, a Toronto local uh, a mosque. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's called Khadim Walid. Uh, Sheikh Yahya Ibrahim actually grew up in that area and he was one of the earliest like director of educations before he came to Australia. Uh, then they had another uh, Imam, uh, Sheikh Musleh Khan, who was there for a little bit and then he left. Uh, they always had it's a predominantly Somali, Somali community. Uh, this is the area where, uh, uh, you know, it's, this is a very, it's a very beautiful like area of Toronto, with, like lots of diversity, lots of, you know, people, but also it's a troubled area. You know, unfortunately, there's a lot of uh, gang violence here. There's a lot of, uh, you know, drug abuse and uh, in, in this particular area. So this mosque is like right there. Um, I was uh, in, introduced to the, to, the, to the management of this mosque. Uh, they offered me the role to be the director of education on a part-time basis. They had a couple of other imams who were Somali, so they would speak only in Somali or Arabic and address the needs of the community that way. And I was supposed to be the guy, you know, with the with the English, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we'll so, talk a better term. So one thing, and this will be a little bit weird, I think, for people listening in America versus Canada, because this was a little bit of a shock to me too. Was I remember praying Juma in Toronto, and there was like three different khutbas all in different languages. Um, and then I remember speaking to an imam uh, who had come to the U.S. from Canada for a little while, and like I was kind of going at him. I'm like, why are the massages in Toronto so irrelevant? I'm like, they barely have any decent programs in English. They're still stuck in the old ways. And he was like, hold on, let me explain this to you little American kid basically like you're looking at it from the US lens where yeah. the reality of the situation is your immigration is not as much as Canada yeah. you're the people in the US have been established quite a bit more and there is more of a push for assimilation in the US not just from the society but even the people that immigrated here yeah. were actually wanting to assimilate and push their kids to assimilate so for us to have you know, natural language, English programming is almost the default. Yeah. Whereas he said in Toronto, he goes, you have to understand the community is completely different where you have a large segment of people that don't speak English and they still speak the languages they spoke back home. And he goes, now, do you, are you going to tell me that we shouldn't serve them? That we should only serve the younger crowd that speak English? We have to, it's a balancing act. We have to serve everyone. So uh, that's one thing I wanted to highlight when you're saying that you had a couple of imams who only spoke Somali or only spoke Arabic. Yeah. Like I want to highlight that for Toronto, that's actually, I would say a necessity, not yeah. whereas in the U S that might be labeled backward. If you had like an imam who only spoke Urdu, they'll be like, okay, this is an irrelevant measure that doesn't get it. But yeah. there it's actually quite important. Yeah. You, you hit the nail on the head. You know, like there's people here, Outside of the Muslim community, like uh, the Sikh community, right? The Sikh, uh, Branton is actually, you know, uh, like I so jokingly, we refer to it as Branton, comma, Punjab, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's a city in Punjab. It's not a city in Ontario. Because in fact, majority of the people in Branton are visible minorities. Like about 70% of the people living here are, are South Asians. Uh, and you go to certain areas uh, and... Uh, you know, you see these people who lived in Canada for like 40 years and they speak English like as if they came yesterday. Um, yeah. You know, so it, it just, that's just the way, uh, not just Muslim communities, all other communities, a, lo a lot of other communities are like that. Same thing with like uh, a Chinese community, some of the Italians right. and Portuguese. It's, a, it's part of the culture here in certain pockets. But, you know, uh, I, I remember like the imam, one of the imams in the, in the city, I was talking to him and he was very furious that they would announce all these things about, uh, you know, all the announcements were made in Somali and then like one small or two small sentences uh, said in English. And I would say, look, you know, like uh, as to your point, these people uh, just don't speak. The majority of the adults in the room don't speak any English, uh, but they want their kids to be served as well. Right. They don't just, yeah. they want something for themselves. They want for their kids. 
uh, they're not going to feel comfortable discussing their problems with me because I'm way younger than them. I'm not from their culture. How can I relate in any way to their problems? Right. Yeah. But they want somebody who they can relate to. Uh, and, but they want their kids to relate to me because we kind of grew up in the same type of environment, uh, same you know, experience or similar experience growing up. So it, it makes sense. It works. Uh, you know, and, uh, but things have changed, you know, it's not as, uh, like the khutbas are now majority in English in Toronto, even, uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's changed now, uh, again, changing dynamic, changing demographics, uh, do that. Right. So, um, that, that was, uh, the case there. I was, uh, there, uh, I, I also actually had a, I, uh, before joining or as I was, uh, as I joined the masjid, I, uh, I went back to school to do a degree in education. So a degree in education here is a post-grad degree. So you have a, say a bachelor's degree in something, and then you can do a education degree. That's a one year degree afterwards. Okay. It's still a bachelor's, but you require the prerequisite as you have to have a bachelor's. It's kind of weird the way it's set it up in Ontario. So I did that, uh, cause I figured that I'll be teaching in Islamic schools or maybe even the public school system while part-time the weekends working in, uh, in the, in the masjid. And I, I always felt that that was like the right balance. Uh, I, as I was doing that, I had an opportunity at, uh, the now almost deceased Institute, AKA, but you know, <laughs> to come and to come, uh, and uh, join the team there to be part of the curriculum department there. Uh, spent a couple of years working on the curriculum project there. Uh, we actually successfully completed our books and there was a whole like plan of what to do afterwards. But as you know, way better what has happened there. I know, <laughs> but subhanAllah, once that thing, uh, f- that was kind of my full-time job. And then I had the mosque part-time khutbah, the masjid, two khutbahs a month you know, three lectures on Sunday. And that was my commitment with that mosque for about five years. So let me ask you a question. Is that, was that you wanting to keep a limited engagement with the masjid so that you weren't fully dependent on the masjid infrastructure? Or was that them saying that this is really all we need you for? It was, uh, it was actually a bit of both. They didn't want somebody full-time. They wanted somebody part-time. Uh, more cost effective and frankly right. less influential. That person is way less influential if they're part time. If they're full time, you're, you're you're consultant, not an insider. That's it, right? Yeah. Uh, and and I learned this later the hard way. Okay, um, so this uh, and I also didn't know if I could trust the mosque to be there full time, and that becomes my like only source of income, right? So yeah. I always wanted to keep like a foot. Uh, you know, like one, you know, foot in like somewhat of a normal job or not normal, like somewhat in da'wah, but still not in a mosque, right? Essentially, you needed enough options on your on your plate so that if one fell through, yeah. it didn't sink everything. It didn't sink everything, yeah. But then, subhanAllah, at uh, a couple of years ago, I decided to go all in. Uh, and it was kind of, uh, I, I made the decision after... You know, just some contemplation, some, you know, istikhara. And I said, you know, like, if I was to do this, I should at least commit to it fully once, right? Um, that's when I moved to London. Um, and in London, what had happened, and this is actually, I think, the first, I guess, takeaway for uh, someone who wants to do da'wah, right? So uh, coming from, uh, say, a place where you have worked in a corporate environment, like I used to work for... Uh, tech companies or, um, you know, but and I was pretty corporate too, you know, the way they s- had structured everything. Um, coming from that place uh, to a mosque is a different, transi- the, the transition is quite large. Uh, for example, like I would assume things on good faith. Okay. Because that's what I would assume, right? Like in a mosque. This is Everyone's working for the sake of Allah. So work for the sake of Allah. And, uh, uh, you know, like they would say, okay, this is it, and inshallah, we'll work things out, right? Uh, not compensation. Compensation was clear, but the specifics of the role, for example, okay? Right, job duties, expectations being... 
all fuzzy. of it, right? Yeah. Exactly. Expectations, you know, uh, the, the role, what it looks like, what's the long-term, uh, you know, vision of that role, all those things on good faith, it'll work itself out. Uh, but then as I got there, I realized, for example, that uh, there were certain things that I had a understanding I would be doing that I was uh, basically told I couldn't do. Like the Jummah Khutbas. So I was sitting there scratching my head saying, uh, you guys, I, you know, <laughs> do khutbas all over Toronto, alhamdulillah. And uh, uh, here is a community that I think could use it because uh, that community had a large portion of people who were of Arab descent, but didn't really speak Arabic. But the khutbah and the religious programming was still in Arabic for them. So they right. felt this massive disconnect. And there were other things that were happening in the background as I came in. As I came in, I was actually coming in, replacing somebody who, uh, you know, had been in the community for many years. And I actually came in, not as the imam, I came in as the executive director, along with a new imam. Both of us came in together. And uh, that was like my first lesson. Did you guys come in as a team, like you guys planned it, or it was just coincidental? Uh, so we didn't plan it. The board of directors or the a group of the board of directors planned it this way. Um, it, there, there is multiple like reasons I think why they would do it. Uh, I think there was. So here's what I like my one of my biggest takeaway. In a mosque, you are probably going to be as a da'i, a pawn in someone else's chess game. Okay? Yeah, you're not. Like your content, your value is uh, really. Your uh, your the decision to hire you was part of some was part of someone's agenda, whether part, that was a righteous agenda or a misguided or whatever. But it was still someone had a certain type of agenda, and you fit whatever they were trying to do in the grand scheme of things. That's it, and that for me was never. I I never, for the life of me, I had no idea this was the reality of a mosque because I always had this part-time relationship, right? I would be like, you got, okay, guys, I'm going to do, okay, two Ujumas, uh, Ramadan fundraising. I'll come for Qiyamul Layl. You know, it was a very clear list of duties. Okay. But everybody knew in the mosque that I'm not like a insider, like you say, right? Yeah. I'm just a, the, the guy who comes in, gives a reminder and then goes essentially. Okay. Now you are in the mosque. So now you essentially become the face of the, of, of, of the mosque in a way. Right. Um, but the thing is it, you're like, what I realized is like, uh, it didn't matter how good say my content was or delivery was, or how effective something was. Uh, if somebody, if I wasn't useful to like a, a person in their agenda, um, I wasn't like, none of it mattered. And if I yeah. was useful, even if I sucked, I matter. still had value, right? You know, it, it's funny. Uh, I have an article on my site called The Four yeah. Different Types of Board and Imam Relationships. Yeah. And it talks about whether the board is high capacity or low capacity and the imam is high capacity or low capacity. Yeah. And in these four, I said that the most, you know, if you have a high capacity board and a low capacity imam, that relationship will barely last a few weeks. Because the board will say, like, this is not our guy. They'll fire him and they'll bring in someone else uh, that's of a higher capacity, right? That that will yeah. be short-lived. The most common scenario is low-capacity board and high-capacity imam. Mm. Um, I give uh, my example. The analogy for that is Jerry, uh, Jimmy Johnson coaching the Dallas Cowboys. Mm. He got the Super Bowl, that. but then he got kicked out, oh. right? Because the organization just didn't want him mm. to outshine. Or yeah. Jerry Jones didn't want him to outshine him, right? Yeah. So, but uh, the reason I'm mentioning this, the most stable and longest lasting arrangement is a low capacity board, the low capacity imam. Yeah. They both suck. They're actually codependent and they need each other. Okay, that, that's amazing, mashallah. So well put. Can I give you another, another, another yeah. analogy of that that I kind of use to, because to be very honest, this last couple of years, I didn't realize how many, uh, complexities there are being in a mosque full time. Uh, you know, as a, I was telling this to some of my uh, younger, 
colleagues and actually some of these people were my students now they are studying in medina and other places and are about to come back and i was telling them that look guys this the, the books will not prepare you for this okay yeah. our education is not going to prepare us for this uh, my university education at waterloo did not prepare me for this my education at the islamic institutes and al medina did not prepare me for this kind Dude. of challenge it, it it's even even the you know yeah. people label corporate america as very cutthroat and backstabbing and all of that and i have seen all of that like in my career mm. and even that didn't prepare me for much of politics yeah yeah uh, so the analogy i think the low capacity low capacity you know that match is uh, like the career politician you know like the guy yeah. who has been in office for like 3 decades okay yeah. and he just is a completely irrelevant person right D- didn't didn't make a single meaningful uh change didn't put forward a single meaningful bill always he knew who, he knew who the important stakeholders were that would keep him in power and he kept them happy and that's it right and he would go to all these events he would go to all these like you know uh functions and birthday parties and church gatherings and mosque gatherings and just go there you know say salam shalom you know whatever person or ethnicity you're dealing with you know be accommodating to them say a few words sit there shake some hands eat some food and that's all this man's doing that's all he's done for 30 years he's just you know shaking hands said a few words eaten some food right. socialized but not done anything that is your career imam that lasts yeah that's what you, the guy who just does that he's attending you know like potluck breakfast he's attending you know dinners at people's homes he's at the masjid shaking people's hands you know he knows but not people. and so we won't get the wrong it's not it's not to belittle all of those things i mean yeah. sometimes as part of the job but that's it's part not the whole thing that's it so i mean it actually is really like i actually find it to be very uh you know noble because for me that's tough to do right and someone who yeah. does that naturally is totally that's amazing right but what i'm saying is that that kind of person but does not offer like content does not offer good khutbas does not offer community development community development there's no plan for education the community right like there's no relevant topic discussed in the masjid uh that part is just irrelevant right that part yeah. that because the career politician right doesn't vote, doesn't put anything that's meaningful on the table right the career imam likewise he's there to be the person who says a few words and eats the food and shakes hands right? it's funny shake up the nasser uh, we were talking about something similar and he said that uh essentially what's happened is when communities don't respect the knowledge of like a proper imam they actually seek out people that aren't qualified uh because then they can have them serve the role of a technician yeah you come you uh you do the aqiqa for the child you yeah. perform the nikah you pray the janaza and other than that kind of stay out of our lives yeah bro like my janaza and my uh, uh nikah speech i have it like so well memorized like i can just like you know yeah. you can wake me up in the middle of the night and be like Okay, nikah time and I can just say the speech. <laughs> Cuz it's just that's like a, you know, it's unfortunate, right? That's what the imam becomes reduced to. Like you said, it's a part of the job, but that's the part that matters because that low capacity board is happy with the imam being low capacity like that. You know yeah. that they're they're just and I, and I think that's why anytime you have an imam who's has an interest in developing the community this is why you hear these stories all over of oh this imam left that much that imam left that much yeah uh, i would venture to guess and i mean this is anecdotal but almost every time i hear about what happened or even in the case where i speak to the imam about what happened yeah. is almost always that their vision for community development was too large for what the board wanted to do yeah it it, it was so there's some imams i would hold uh, accountable you know i think oh uh, yeah uh, we yeah. can go there too and I i've know. seen that i've seen that as well like yeah and and the reasons it gets tricky because 
actual imams are usually very disrespected and very undervalued. Yeah. But it but what's strange is that because they get frustrated and they leave, right? And and the thing is is that when you are qualified, you end up having more options. And so they're able to do things where they're not tied down to a masjid. They're not tied down to to one thing. They're able to do other things. But you still have that hole that needs to be filled. And then that's the unfortunate reality is you have people then that aren't qualified even to give khutbah properly, counseling and leading communities. And uh, that's a train wreck. And those imams should be held accountable. and And it's unfortunate. But yeah, you see that a lot as well now. Yeah. Not, because now there's a vacuum, so someone's going to fill it. Someone's going to fill it, yeah. The, the thing, what happened uh, with me, because my role was not... Uh, so these people that are there are actually really good people. I respected them at that time, and I still res- I respect them a lot right now. Uh, the, the ones who brought me on, I you know have a lot of uh, you know admiration for them, right? But I think uh, worse than a meal that's not cooked is a half-cooked meal. You see, because yeah. if it's not cooked, you're not going to eat it. You will look at it and be like, this is not, I'm going to get sick if I eat this. Half of me looks like it's cooked, but you mm-hmm. eat it, you get sick. Uh, and that was what that, you know, like situation was. It was a half baked, you know, roll, uh, or it wasn't thought out fully. All its implications weren't thought out. So for example, I would say, okay, what would you like me to do? Okay, here's a problem. Solve it. All right. I'll do that. Okay, I took a step to sort towards solving that. That angers like the treasurer. How come you did this? We never spent money on this before. I, I would say, well, you guys told me to solve this problem. That problem requires spending some money. So I went through the processes and spent the money that's in the budget. Right. And then, you know, just, just that logical sequence of steps doesn't actually always add up, right? Because now you're no longer part of that person's plan, that person's agenda. So I found myself like basically like being pulled in two or three directions. Unfortunately, I didn't uh, have the patience to deal with that. I think that's the second thing I would like advise like myself, maybe from like two years ago or a young imam or somebody who was going into a masjid. See, like my role, the reason why they gave me that role was because they saw I had corporate experience and corporate, you know, like I, I had a degree from Waterloo in computer science. Right. So they said, look, yeah. you can do your da'wah and educational programs, but also this is a big center. This is a, uh, you know, this is the place where when something happens, like the New Zealand shooting, the first call comes to like that mosque, right? right. For a statement, right? The mayor comes to that mosque like frequently. Uh, it's the place. There's right? a community significance to it. It's, it's a huge like significance. That, you know, like Spanla, that mosque, uh, you know, Mela bless the people who, uh, you know, established it and got it to that point. Uh, I've never seen that many non-Muslims come to a masjid ever. Yeah. I mean, the amount of non-Muslims I've interacted in the, with in the last two years at that mosque, giving mosque tours and explaining what Islam is. I haven't done that in the last like 15 years in Toronto. It's mashallah, right. it's truly remarkable, mashallah. So they've done something like really great. So they thought that this is a good person to bring in, compliment the imam who is, uh, you know, an amazing a person, a genuine like sweetheart, mashallah. Right, I know he's still there. He's a very good friend. He's like a mentor to me, but his largely he's an older person. He speaks in Arabic mostly, so they would say, "Here's a younger person can connect with the youth, connect with the millennials, also qualify enough to take the responsibility of running the center, representing the center." Right? Sounds like a good idea. Hmm? Yeah. In theory, but it has to be really hammered down. So what I would say is like to somebody who's walking into like a role like that. That's a slightly complex dawah rule. It's not as simple as, you know, director of education or simple, straightforward imam rule, right? There's, uh, I think you need more patience and you need to understand that this is not like a one year or two year. This is a five year thing, right? Nothing will happen before like two, three years. And all you need to do is focus on like small changes on the, on the edges. It's kind of like building a team culture, right? Yeah. Like you can't, so th- this is interesting because uh, my experience with the Mashud board was similar in the sense that, uh, you know, and, and the thing is like, I, I grew up around Mashud politics. My dad's always been on the board or something. So from an early age, like I've seen like, 
you know, you're saying that there was an, another agenda at play and this and that. Like, I, I understand the game being played. I've seen it my whole life. So I still don't quite understand the motivations of why people are so invested in playing those games. But like, I get it. Yeah. And, and I know how it's done. And the thing for me was once I was on the board, I just had no interest. No. Like, I, I'll do work, but I don't have time for all the shenanigans that go around it. Yeah. And for a lot of people, they have to have that drama in order to get something done. The, so I want I, to say that to preface with something else you just said, which is doing this type of work takes a lot of time. So in, in the sense of people that are considering going down this line of work, there's a lot to reconcile in, in the sense of you're going to have to put in a lot of effort and plant a lot of seeds that are going to take many years to, to see any fruit. Yeah. But at what point do you realize whether the effort is worth it or not? Like for me, the decision was very quick was I'm not going to be able to get anything done. I don't have time to play these games. And so I'm pulling out. Uh, but on the flip side, there is a very strong argument. And I understand it completely, which is, well, everything good is worth fighting for. And the Mushid needs people who are willing to put that fight in. So how do you find that, that balance and decision? I think... I think honestly, it goes back to like a personality type, you know, like I was watching some, uh, some YouTube videos on um, like uh, on fighting, right? Like, you know, how come a person is able to punch harder than another person, right? They both train in the same gym. They have the same, you know, they go to the same regimen, but one guy is able to knock out another person with just one punch, right? So, um, the guy who was explaining this was a, he's a famous, uh, you know, trainer and he was like, it's genetics. It's because like how the bone and the muscles connect for a person and whether it's a fast twitch fiber or a slow twitch mm. fiber, like, I don't know the biology of it. Right. Yeah. But he was like, look, it's genetics after a certain level, like you can train a person at a certain level, then it's just genetics. Okay. Uh, it's like basketball. You can't teach height. You can't teach height, right? You can't, like, even hops, like, you can't teach LeBron like hops. You know, just... This, you you know? can you can work on it and fine-tune it, but, like, yeah. God still made you 6'9 and gave you, like, a base 35-inch vertical or whatever. Right? <laughs> just, you just can't compete with that, right? So, um, but the, the interesting thing was, uh, I think, same kind of analogy applies here. Is that, like, like I think I... My experiences kind of shaped me to be always like, okay, what did I get done in this last three months or this last, you know, half year, you know? Um, and, and being at Bayina and teaching at Bayina and teaching at other institutes like al Kothar, I always had like, you know, uh, okay, check marks. I checked, okay, here's something that we did. Here's something I got managed You're to You're charting your progress. Right? And, and that's how I measure like my growth and my contribution, you know? Um, and, and, and like, for example, like personally as well, like, okay, well, how many books have I finished, for example, reading, uh, that are more advanced than just like basic Islamic texts. Okay. So I'm in the middle of this book. I'm in the middle of that book. Uh, you know, all those things are just kind of the way we measure ourselves. A person, I think who has that kind of, I don't think it's necessarily by nature is more by nurture, right? Like, and I think a lot of yeah. computer scientists are like that. <laughs> uh, it's tough to be a politician. It's really tough. Yeah. Right. Uh, because it requires you to just accept this gray area, right? It's not like, okay, I'm making progress. Or I'm not making progress. It, it, yeah, it's there's, just, there's a certain, there's a certain embrace of ambiguity, ambiguity. Right. And I, I just couldn't exist in that. You see, so that is a, a person who's able to just take that and say, you know what, just, you know, it'll be okay. Just stay yeah. the course. I think that's a person who is able to, you know, last long-term in these kind of situations. Someone who's really focused on, you know, measures their, I guess, contribution and growth by like, performance indicators yeah it's tough because you just you don't you just don't have it it's it's you're part of it's a almost system. like the analytical mindset versus the big picture mindset right you, you're part of the system you're not the system right you move something in the system and others there's going to be like side effects to it you can't control those 
right? Yeah. So I, I felt that patience for me was, uh, I, I, in hindsight, wish I was more patient, right? And that's what I would encourage somebody. In fact, when someone, uh, like my, some of my students were now finishing up and coming back and they asked me, uh, what should we do? My first question to them is, do you like people? Do you like people? Right? Yeah, that's a really underrated part of the work. All right. Is, yeah. So if the answer is no, I don't like people. I was like, don't be an imam. You know, be a khatib, please. Your community needs you to be a khatib. Okay, you grew up in, in, in your city. You went to study. If you don't give khutbah, that's a, that's a, that's a real uh, opportunity loss. That's, you know, that should be your contribution to your community at right. minimum. Okay, but should you work at your masjid? If you don't like people, I don't think you should work at a masjid. Because that's all you do. You deal with people. Yeah. You just have to sit with people. You have to talk with people. And board members, you have to... Uh, maybe these are people. Otherwise, you won't even like be friends with. But here now, you have to become friends with them. Not like in a bad way. It's not like this is a person who's a bad person. I won't be a friend with them. But, no, but it's, it's uh, the nature then, of the role. Right? Like here's, here's a 60-year-old person from Palestine. Right? Like, dude and I have nothing in common. And, and by the way... <laughs> And just so people don't yeah. uh, take this a certain way, mm-hmm. even in, in the corporate world, right? Like as I look, let's say even within my own company and I start looking at job postings higher and higher up, yeah. you know, there's, there's one level where it's like, okay, you need to be proficient in this technical skill and that technical skill. But as you're moving up, the, even the job requirements are, we're looking for someone who's able to establish strong business relationships across the company. We're, we need someone that can network and knows how to negotiate and leverage and prioritize our projects and this and that. And, and none of those are technical or academic skills. Those literally are, are you willing to just go around, meet people, make connections, get to know them, befriend them, not in a tit for tat, we're doing favors for each other kind of way, but like, can you just genuinely connect with other people? Yeah. And that actually becomes a very in-demand skill. And to your point in this is the underrated part of the imam role is that is such an important part of the actual day-to-day job description that people overlook. Absolutely. And, and you know, like um, just to add to that point, like qualifications in the technical role, I think as you climb the ladder and become like a director or a vice president or something, right. Uh, you still have that technical base that supports you, right? Like your technical knowledge. Yeah, you have to have the base you, competency. Right. Uh, the imam situation is actually quite different because your technical competency, technical competency or your knowledge is just basically earning you the credentials that give you the respect in the people's eyes. Right. So for example, uh, like I, I, um, like I, I have actually studied a lot more like Arabic grammar, for example, than, uh, like a normal person would. And then it's because my teachers were, extremely keen on Arabic grammar, right? Um, so the stuff that I've spent hundreds of hours learning, not once in my life have I ever used it outside in like the masjid capacity. Yeah. You see? Uh, it's like learning and mastering uh, math at like a um, bachelor's level, level or maybe a little bit more than a bachelor's level. And then all you're dealing with is like grade five, grade six questions yeah. about math, like basic algebra. Okay. So that, that, the, 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 the skills are actually your, your, your expertise actually are almost irrelevant to your relationships. Yep. And that's a difficult thing, right? Your expertise earns you like the cred, right? The street cred to be able to sit and, uh, have some leverage in a relationship, right? Especially as an imam. Yeah. But in reality, you're like if in, in a technical setting, you, if you are a, say, a project manager for a, a software company, your technical base allows you to take the product forward, for example, right? Yeah. Or, or to understand what the coders are saying and then bridge them with the business side of the, of the company, right? Like you, you are that bridge because you have both, for example, right? Yep. Your technical skills allow you that. Here, it's none of that. So it's actually quite a, it's a, it's a weird situation. So it's literally just being with the people sometimes. 
And by the way, this this is actually why we're talking about the unqualified imam thing. Yeah. This is why people, and I've seen it a lot, people that have good people skills and the, to use an old, old saying, the gift of gab, yeah. they're able to actually cement themselves in these roles even when they completely lack any Islamic studies background. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the most successful ones that I've seen are the ones who uh, are, uh, I think, mashallah, fantastic in their knowledge of Islam and they have expertise they studied and have you know mastered, but then they are by nature very uh, personable. Very, you know, they enjoy being around people. Mm-hmm. And those are hard to find because that's not again; those aren't teachable skills necessarily. No, no right? I mean, a person can work on them, but there is this again a certain level of your natural. Uh, just your natural energy around people or your inclination toward meeting people and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what happened with me going back a little bit to my story is that I, uh, because of like, maybe I was, I was trying to move things in a certain direction. I kind of kept, uh, I, I arrived at a point where I said to myself that this is just like untenable. Okay. And, um, and, and, what I didn't realize is that I think people become, uh, this is a, and this is, I would think like this is the same with us, right? Like um, with myself, especially like it's very difficult not to hold grudges. And right. if, if a person ends up, you're always being in a, in a, in a, in a conflict situation with them. You're always in a conflict. It's going to build up. Right. And it's very tough. Like that Sahabi who, you know, the Prophet said that he here's a man mm-hmm. who's going to come, who's a person of paradise. And, you know, three times that happened. And then Abdullah bin Amr ibn As went and spent a night with him and said, I didn't see anything special. You know, that's like, that's a very special thing to be able to not yeah, hold grudges. Much easier said than done. Oh, it's just, it's just uh, unbelievable. For example, like for me to think of how uh, the Prophet ﷺ would be uh, so insulted by the leader of the hypocrites, right? Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. And yet he had the graciousness and the heart to pray the janazah, lead the janazah for him and have no grudges, all is forgiven. To the point where Allah had to tell him, you can't do that, right? Yeah. Don't ever pray for any one of them. And don't ever stand at their grave to make dua for them. So, you know, like, it's unbelievable how amazing the Prophet's heart was. And as an imam or as like a leader who is kind of put in the position, inheriting the Prophet's, uh, you know, uh, knowledge, that's one of the hardest parts of that inheritance, to inherit that kind of a pure heart. So, like, those grudges built up. And that's my third thing, like, I would say to, like, a young not just even a young, anybody who's trying to do something is that don't make decisions out of spite. Right. Yeah. And that that's the decision. Even if you made istikhara and you made, you know, istishara, you've asked people and all that good stuff. Right. Uh, and everything makes sense. I think a decision made in spite is often one you would regret. Yeah. Almost and, and that's what I did. I made a decision in spite uh, to leave that mosque and join another mosque in the city, right? Yeah. Uh, and that mosque, I didn't really do the due diligence I should have done. Hmm. Uh, I went, I, I think the, the, I saw enough red flags with that mosque, but all of that was ignored because I just wanted to basically tell this man that I quit. That's all, yeah. that's all I wanted to say. To, that, to get to that goal, I was willing to yeah. overlook so many things. That's not I a was, good thing. I always tell people about, people yeah. ask like when they're giving khutbah, like, well, I keep seeing this thing in my community, that thing in my community. Can I address it? And I'm like, well, it depends. Yeah. Are you actually addressing a problem or are you taking revenge on the community from the microphone? That's it. There's a, there's a big difference between the two. That's it, right? Um, so I joined this other mosque in the city. Uh, these people turned out to be the most spiritually bankrupt people I've seen in my life. And uh, it, it's unbelievable, right? Like, I mean, uh, how, how 
how a person could be that way in the guise of I'm doing this, you know, for the sake of the mosque. Okay. Yeah. Uh, my probationary period was three months at that mosque. Right. So just before my probationary period expired, they told me that uh, we're not uh, going to renew your contract. Uh, today is your last day. It was funny because I actually met these people for coffee when they let, told me that you're, you're going to be let go. Uh, and they were like, would you like some coffee? I said, no, no, it's okay. Cause I have an event later in the masjid Tuesday nights. We have coffee with the Imam. So I'm going to yeah. save my coffee for that. And they're like, Oh, ha 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 ha. Here is your, you know, it's <laughs> awkward, like laughter and, you know, uh, that awkward silence and said, Oh, sorry, we've decided not to renew your contract. And I said, well, what's the reason for that? You have to give me a reason. You know, I never had one meeting to, for, for you to tell me something is going wrong. Not one meeting. I never had yeah. a performance review. Everybody in the community that I have met are so happy that of, of the programs that are happening here with the, uh, you know, reminders with the khutbahs, etc., etc. Uh, I have not heard, you know, one person complain to me about anything. Not to say I'm like a perfect or something. There's people complaining, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's not like, uh, you know, everybody is upset with this person. Okay. I have, you haven't given me uh, any like reasoning. What's what, what gives it like, we don't have to tell you that's <laughs> it. And uh, I, I, if I was to take a guess, it was because uh, those people uh, are some of, like I said, extremely, like I would say that this is a person who was spiritually or uh, just bankrupt. You know, you don't, uh, you feel that your power in the community or your standing in the community is going to be compromised by somebody else. Imam has, sorry, uh, influence over another person in the board uh, to the point where like that person starts to say almost exactly what you would say. This is a dangerous person. Get him out of here. Also the the unfortunate common thread that I've seen in a lot of these is it's petty power struggles. I mean, it's just the pettiness like fragile ego type of thing. And it's unfortunate, but it is very common. What, yeah. One thing I wanted to get your thoughts on, because I know we're going a little bit long before we wrap up, was given the lay of the land, and, we, and we've all got, you know, we've all seen these types of situations and, and they are widespread, but yeah. someone that is now looking into, I want to study Islam full-time, I want to dedicate yeah. my life to this full-time, people come to me and they ask my advice and my advice is usually a little bit to the other side, which is do your Islam Islamic work part-time and have a different full-time way of supporting yourself. Meaning in other words, don't let an unstable community environment or community structure or governance structure have that much leverage over your life. Now the, the trade-off usually is that, well, part-time effort means part-time results. Yeah. Full-time effort is full-time results. And there's not a comparison between the two, yeah. uh, but it's a bit of a balancing act. What's, what's your advice for people that are saying, well, no, I, you know, I can't stomach the thought of yeah. doing this soul sucking corporate job, et cetera, et cetera. I want to throw myself into community work full-time. I want to study full-time. Uh, what are their options? What, what should they be looking at now? Yeah. So what I would say is uh, I think it depends very much on the person in the situation. So if yeah. this is a person who is 25 years old, married, no kids, right? Just f- assume this is a person who's finished their studies in Islam, right? They've they did full-time studied, studies. Yeah. Full-time studies came back. Now they're back. They're like, what do I do? Okay. Uh, I would say to that person, and I've actually said it to many people uh, of, in that age range who are coming back, say, go work at a masjid. Uh, I just go full time, like as like your yeah. personal tarbiyah for a year. Yeah, definitely, because yeah. Uh, you don't have that much of a like you don't have that much of a liability, right? You just you and your wife, or maybe you just by yourself. Uh, I'm assuming that you have parents. Your, here your risk tolerance is much higher. Much higher risk tolerance, is much higher, and if it works out, it's actually really great for the community, right? Yeah, because. Here is a young person who grew up in the community, went to study, came back, and now through, you know, a bit of, you know, 
fire and brimstone finds themselves to be in the community, right? After yeah. going through this up and down situation, manages to survive that long enough that they're now there. That's a total win, right? Right. And I would say that the, 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 the benefit in that is worth the risk, right? Yeah. Um, if you are, um, for, me, for me, by the way, I actually went back to the old mosque again. Uh, they heard what happened. They were actually furious at the other mosque and they made like a, not the, the, the executive director role, but they made a separate role that is more uh, focused on the school and uh, more focused on lectures and khutbas. Uh, which is frankly <laughs> what I would have preferred. That's where you want to focus, yeah. Right? Uh, so in a, in a strange way, I kind of came to what I wanted to be, <laughs> but I had to go yeah. through like... You have the, to go through those steps sometimes. That, that trauma, right? <laughs> but subhanAllah, yeah. uh, what I would say, the second option is like something like that. Like you find your footing uh, in like say uh, an educational institute, like say that your bread and butter is a school, Okay. And especially if it's a mosque that has a school under its umbrella, uh, this is something that uh, one of my, uh, you know, mentors in Chicago, he does, you know, he's a graduate from Azhar. We were in uh, Egypt together um, that he works at the school and that that's like 70% of his pay and role, right? Yeah. Like salary. And the 30% of it comes from uh, mosque work, khutbas and, uh, and, and durus. Uh, lectures and the uh, the principal of the school understands that this is the arrangement, right? And the principal of the school is accommodating for you, right? Like for my situation, I'm very blessed that our principal is fantastic, one of the best, alhamdulillah, people uh, that I, I have known, and you know, very accommodating. The board also, alhamdulillah, is very accommodating. So it, it allows you to do your dawah work. And you still provide a lot of value to the community as being the Islamic studies teacher at a school. So that's a second right. option, right? Um, the other option is what I would say is uh, I think like generally entrepreneur, entrepreneurship doesn't thrive in a environment that's bureaucratic. Okay? Yeah. Uh, so what I would say is if you are like a go-getter and you have ideas and unique projects and this is at any level of knowledge by the way right yeah. uh don't do that at the masjid don't do that at do the it independently yeah do it independent look at all the great like stuff that's come out of the muslim community right all the innovative stuff whether we like it or not <laughs> right it's i think maybe one of them came out of a mosque right like why islam from ikna or something you see yeah and Ikhna is not just like a typical mosque. Ikhna is different, right? But everything else that's valuable, that's unique, that's adding something to society that came from individuals doing it themselves. And individuals who put in a lot of hard work in the beginning with almost nothing in return. Yeah. Uh, so I would say, you know, like uh, at any level of knowledge or any, at any level of commitment you want to have, don't wait for a mosque to take your project, do your project, put in your time, put in. And the, and the funny thing is actually usually the masjid will then come asking for it when they see that it's that's attracting it. people or that it's resonating, then they'll come in and want to host it. That's it. Right. And it's, it's kind of like you want, and at that point you can make a decision. Should I, you know, have it at the mosque? Should I keep it outside of the mosque? And if you have something like that, and then you have, uh, I think any person of good knowledge, whether someone who studied Islam here in America or Canada, uh, attained the basics uh, or learned the basics, uh, should definitely be on the khutbah rotation in their city, right? Oh, and that's yeah, at a minimum. Minimum, right? And khutbah rotation at the universities, uh, college campuses, right? Like, just spread yourself as much as you can. The one who comes back from say like Medina or something doesn't want to deal with the mosque, right? Cause they have like three kids and responsibilities and bills to pay. Great. Get a corporate job. Cause your responsibility is your family. Right. But yeah. make sure that you're on a khutbah rotation in your city, right? That's the minimum. You have to make some yeah. contribution with what you studied. hundred yeah. percent. Right. And, uh, any entrepreneurial ideas, I think best are done outside of the masjid. So that's kind of like the three things you can add like a fourth one. That's like 
what well, some of the you know people they work at like uh, nonprofits uh, or charities, right? And then they have yeah, that's the getting more and more common as well. There's like the fundraising route, the charity route. Yeah. Um, there's just like you said, like having these limited engagement, but with multiple massages. So that that's having you know certain fixed amount of programming at one place, a fixed amount of programming at another place. Yeah. The you know, and obviously the trade off with this is. I think we grew up at a time where you kind of had this imam in your, like the masjid imam was a spiritual leader, community leader, and they were there throughout like a lot of important moments in your life. So like you got to know them over the course of five years or 10 years. Like they did your, I mean, when you finished reading the Quran, they were there at like your high school graduation, maybe like when you get married. So like there's this uh, relationship that develops that I think is vital that a lot of people yeah. undervalue when it comes to communities but yeah i think that's the biggest loss that happens with where we're headed now is that you are going to have more of the technician route whether it's marriage funeral whether it's khutbah and lecture and friday night whether you know sunday yeah. school whatever tasks there are but i think some of that development aspect is the trade-off that people might not be seeing yeah yeah and and then it, it's really person to person, right? Like how much can you tolerate that risk? How long can you think you can live in ambiguity of a board that keeps changing or maybe doesn't change, but they're... Yeah, every great situation is 12 months away from being a disaster. Right. And vice versa. Months. Yeah, I, I would say one Jumar away from a disaster. Oh, man. <laughs> but... Um, but jokes aside, so th- that those will be the ways. I would say also uh, one last point about this is that um, you know uh, the the um, I think like uh, do as much good as you can in whatever role you have, right? Like because then like the people become your spokesperson when yeah. stuff goes wrong, right? I was just talking to like a brother who was about to accept a role and he's like, Oh, I'm going to have these office hours and uh, there's nobody in the masjid that I can just sit and read. And I told him, don't do that. Right. Like those are not really any office hours. No one's going to come to the mosque on Thursday at 9 AM to meet you. Okay. Uh, have your office hours at like Saturday after Fajr, if you want to be there, like have a Saturday after Fajr yeah. program, for example, and stay until Dhuhr. So you can meet the people. You're going to meet the weekend school kids mm, and the people. Yeah. And whatever other time you have, read in that time. Don't just like read books on the Masjid dime. Because you want to give all you can. Because this is a privilege. This is yeah. the most privileged situation a person can be in. To be the imam. So understand the value of that pri- pri- privilege. And uh, you know, give it your all. Not because... Uh, you know, I I am trying to build up like a fan base that will support me when I fall. Nope, that's not the point. The point is that's how we need to be, right? Um, but those people that you do good for, and that's all you've done, when the board comes or somebody comes and says, this person, we had to let him go because he's very difficult to work with, people will say, well, no, really, he was a really easy person to work with, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, that's like the angel speaking on your behalf. You don't have to like defend yourself. Yep. Um, and, and lastly would be to do it in a sustainable manner. Like the hadith of the Prophet said that, you know, like the The best actions are the ones that are consistent, even if they're less, right? I.e. they're sustainable. Uh, there's ihsan, there's excellence, but there's also sustainability. If I'm doing everything that I can get my hands on i don't know if that's sustainable especially if i yeah. have you know four kids right so i have to focus on one thing so for example for me now what i've decided is my focus has shifted solely on my arabic program that i'm teaching online uh my school that i'm teaching at the masjid that i do lectures and khutbas at that's one thing and then second thing is the arabic program and there's no third because yeah. that's what's sustainable for me uh, and anything else I try to add to this equation, I'm going to just mess it up. Yep. Uh, so that's, a, you know, I think you used to be written articles about just say no and, you know, don't have, um, don't just stretch yourself too thin. Yeah, it's, it's tough. It's tough to say no. Yeah. But you but have to in, be strict with it. But you, you have to. And 
it's 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 a it's a, it's a roller coaster. It's not easy, but one one thing I mean, sustainability is actually a form of baraka too. Yeah. Uh, the you know people people are dismissive like oh this person's been doing this halakha like every Tuesday for the last five years and only four people show up and I'm, I kind of look at the other way I'm like there's actually a huge amount of blessing in someone that has been able to teach every week for like five years yeah versus someone that teaches a couple of you know wham bam four or five classes and they disappear like that doesn't yeah uh, they, even if they were effective you know even if they were great there's a different type of blessing in having something sustainable long term absolutely yeah alhamdulillah yeah but all right man i think we'll wrap it up there i know we went we went a little bit over time but uh just here anything any last uh last comments that people know where to find you online uh so i am usually on uh twitter more active on twitter than other places uh, uh my handle is arij unwork a-a-r-i-j-a-n-w-e-r uh, I also, um, you know, like I was mentioning, started the Arabic program. You can, uh, if you if you don't mind, uh, you know, quick plug. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Stepstoarabic.com. Uh, this is something that I feel very passionate about because I went through that process of learning Arabic to understand the Quran uh, and uh, these the struggles of that, the joy of it, and uh, after having after having taught it for almost like a decade now, I think I have a pretty good curriculum that gets a person from point A where they're just reading the alphabet to a point where they're able to make sense of what the Quran says. So those are my two like main thing, Twitter okay. and you know, social media. We'll, but Twitter we'll is yeah. We'll link those up in the show notes. And uh, I was going to say, it's, it was good talking to you. It's actually kind of weird because most of our interaction is in our basketball WhatsApp group. I know. So it's kind of weird to talk about something else. <laughs> <laughs> Alhamdulillah. That's really awesome. Alhamdulillah. All right, man. All right. Take care, man. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to support the podcast, please subscribe in Apple Podcasts or Google Play or whatever podcast player you use. And please rate and review the podcast. As always, if you share it with a friend that's much appreciated, you can check the show notes for all the details and links. See you in the next episode.